Good morning. Nice having this back on my collar, Don. Um, Today we're going to continue on with Abraham's story. We're getting towards the end of Abraham's story. For some of you, it might be a finally moment. For others, it may be sad because you enjoy Abraham. But uh, we're going to get through a couple chapters today. And it will lead us up to probably the the most famous Abraham story, which is the, the story of going up the mountain with Isaac and what entails up there on the mountain of sacrifice. And um, so today we're going to get through a couple chapters. I think that we'll just do a brief recap of where we, where we were last year, or last week we were on uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Sodom and Gomorrah isn't necessarily an Abraham-centric story, but we, uh, we covered that last week, and uh, let's just kind of catch back up with Abraham here. Um, Previously in Genesis 18, Jesus comes to visit Abraham with his two spiritual being buddies, and uh, Abraham ends up throwing a barbecue for the group, and they're enjoying their time together, and Jesus is sitting around, and he proclaims that next year, by this time next year, Sarah's going to have her natural-born son. And uh, Sarah laughs about it profusely, and Jesus is like, hey, why are you laughing, Sarah? And Sarah's like, I didn't laugh. She tries to lie to Jesus. That whole thing happens, and Jesus doesn't let it go. And then Jesus just calls her out and says, no, next year you're going to have this kid. And uh, they visit for a while, and they get ready uh, to go. And Abraham goes to see, see Jesus and the buddies off. And uh, they start heading to over in the direction of Sodom. And there's many cities in the valley there. Um, and he just talks about the cries of the cities the injustice reaches the heavens. And Abraham sees him off and he's able to intercede for the city, talking to Jesus. He gets Jesus down. He's like, hey, are you still gonna are you still gonna destroy the city if there's this many people? Then he gets him down a little further, then he gets him down a little further, gets him to like ten people. And it's this idea that Abraham is interceding for people. And we're gonna talk about that a little bit again today with Abraham. And uh, the two spiritual beings then continue their journey, and you get what I get talked about last week with Sodom and Gomorrah. You get the destruction of the cities in the valley. Um, and so where that leaves us is, is the end of chapter 19 of Genesis. It says that Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And this is where he, before he was talking with the angel of Yahweh, which is Jesus And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. And so it was when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and he sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. And so that's last we saw Abraham at this point. Abraham was still, um, he was still chilling out under the oaks of Mamre. And, uh, we're going to pick up there. So Genesis 20. What we're going to find in this story is, is one of the lessons that we really want to take from Abraham. And that is, Abraham was Yahweh's guy to finish this out. He was the man that was going to bring the nation into fruition. And as we look at Abraham's life, Abraham makes a lot of mistakes. Abraham, he never goes off course of like this undying loyalty to Yahweh. But he has moments where his faith is tested and he fails. He's got some moments where his his character is tested and it fails. But God is true. And Abraham is true to God. And it 
it, it still go works into fruition. This is, this is his plan to bring us to Jesus. And Abraham is not perfect. Abraham seemed like a decent guy. Um, he just, he kept on. He was just faithful. There was that, that believing loyalty that was present with him the entire time. And this is another story where we see that with Abraham because we're going to see an exact same mistake that Abraham made before that we laughed about earlier when he goes to Egypt. He's going to do the same thing now. And this is even after everything he's seen Yahweh come through for him with. He's still going to make that same decision. And so from there, Abraham journeyed towards the territory of the Negev. He lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned to Gerar. And Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, meaning he had not touched her yet, done sexual things with her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, She is my sister? And she herself said, He is my brother? In the integrity of my heart, in the innocence of, innocence of my hands, I have done this. So this is the exact same thing that Abraham did down in Egypt. If you remember right, he went to Egypt. He did this with Pharaoh. Pharaoh wanted Sarah. Pharaoh took Sarah. Abraham was fearful that he was going to get killed and his wife stolen. And again, we talked about that's a, that's a faith thing, right? Like, is, is Yahweh going to see you through or not? And he's doing the same thing here in Gerar. Um, Abimelech, by the way, looking at it, we don't know that that's actually a person's name or a title. So kind of think of Abimelech the same way you'd think of like Caesar or you'd think of Pharaoh because Isaac is later going to have issues with Abimelech of Gerar and we don't believe it's the same person. We think it's just a title. Um, so he's there. He's meeting with this king of a small region and he's even fearful of that. And he does the same lie he did multiple chapters ago. So this is still God talking to Abimelech in the dream. And yes, I know that you have done this in the, integri- in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for, she, for he is a prophet. So he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, Know that you, will surely, you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So I think he's talking about the nation there and a chance. Um, the interesting thing I want to talk about here, because we're going to go back to talking about prophecy with, with Bree in a couple of weeks, is this is the, the first, this is God's first, what they refer to as a prophet. And for a lot of people, when they think about Old Testament prophets, you sometimes just get this idea of the doom and gloom and the fighting against the king and bringing messages and that type of thing. But here's an example of, of the prophet where they're bringing back Abraham's ability to intercede. So it's this idea of the prophet being a man of healing and intercession. And I think that's important in the context that this is the first time we've seen um, someone represented as a prophet. Um, and they're talking about Abraham. And Abraham also, when we look at the Old Testament, we get this, this notion that these, these prophets were perfect, but we know now, like just reading the story of Abraham, that these prophets are not perfect. And we know that what happens to... So we have Abraham on one hand here. 
he's, he's lying or he's half-truthing, as we'll see, but he's also a prophet. And so what, what does the Old Testament later say to do with prophets who lie? Or what, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting idea, like this whole Abraham is a prophet, but yet he's not this normal prophet type that we think. So just keep that in mind when we talk about, when we talk about prophecy in a couple of weeks. Um, so, so Yahweh's laying it out to him in a dream that he's got to return this woman to Abraham. And you see that Yahweh has been protecting Sarah while Sarah has been, I wouldn't say she was kidnapped, but while she was taken, um, he's, he's keeping her safe because it's the idea that she, she's going to birth Abraham's kid, not someone else's kid. Um, and that's important. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You've done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? So now we get this idea, Abraham, why are you afraid? Why are you scared? And Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness, kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. So this is where we get the reveal that Sarah is his half-sister. So now do we look back on the Egypt event? And was, was Abraham really lying? It, it's kind of it's a half-truth. It's kind of like when a kid is eating the candy and he eats only half of the candy stick. And he's like, did you eat the candy? And he's like, eh, no, I didn't really eat the candy. Well, I, I ate like half the candy, but that's not like the whole candy. It's kind of how it feels when Abraham's going through this right now. Um, so there you go. So there's another awkward reveal. That's his half-sister. So can Genesis get better? I don't know. Um, we, we see, though, that he did tell Sarah to say this and to do this. And so that takes a little burden off of Sarah. When we think about Sarah, we already have issues with Sarah and her treatment of Hagar and Sarah lying to God when God knows her thoughts. So we're going to see Sarah make the same mistakes again as we go. And then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all of those who are with you. And before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So we have Abraham praying for people and people getting healed. Um, and so we kind of get to the end of the story. It's kind of the same thing as what happened when Abraham went to Egypt. He leaves Egypt. Now he's got more stuff. In this case, he received more things from this king. And uh, it ends up being a blessing for both. We're going to jump to Genesis 21 here. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And the promise was that this 90-year-old woman was going to have a kid. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. 
Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So he said to Abraham, so she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. So here we get another repeat of what was going on before in Genesis with Sarah being jealous of Hagar. This is what happens when you're having sex with multiple women, people. And he's getting, sec- he's getting that. He's getting this counter from his wife. And um, so this is on the day that Isaac was weaned. So that puts Isaac at like two to three historically at that time, which means Ishmael's like 16, 17 now. So Abraham has been growing up with this kid who has been his son, is his son. Um, They've got that father-son relationship now for 15 years. And now his wife is like, you need to get rid of these people. You got to kick them out. And uh, so Abraham is, is distraught. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Now, what is interesting with this is that God knows eventually what's going to come from the son Ishmael. And we know that destruction and war with Israel will come with the descendants of Ishmael and the effect on the world of these descendants. But yet God, Abraham is his friend. And God is concerned about Abraham's desire and love for his son and what will happen to his son. So God blesses Ishmael. And God's got a plan for Ishmael. And God sees it through, as we'll read. And as you read through the Bible, God sees it through. It's this idea that God, Yahweh has Abraham's back. That covenant is intact. When you are in relationship with God, he has your back. And sometimes um, it might not look look the same for everybody, but sometimes it seems strange to people. when he has your back and when he does the things that he does for you. And like, we're looking back at this and we know what happens with Ishmael. Yahweh knew what was going to happen with Ishmael, but Yahweh still has Abraham's back and still wants Abraham in that. Um, that's that, that, that covenant relationship that we have with God. Um, what's fun about this, and I'm just going to, we'll just read this briefly, is this is the story. There's a weird, there's a weird passage in Galatians that Paul references this story with. And we're just going to talk about it real quick because this is the event that kind of triggers what Paul is saying. And so Galatians 4, we'll just read through this and talk about this. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law. So to to, to preface this, Paul is talking to the church in Galatia. 
The church in Galatia has multiple problems going. The church in Galatia has some problems with people still clinging to some of the tenets of Judaism. And then they're also having issues with Gnosticism, which is something that we've mentioned before that I'll probably teach about later. So what they're, they're getting this weird Jewish Gnosticism mix thing going on. And so Paul is addressing them, saying, listen, this has got to stop. This isn't how it was when I left you. And this is kind of where we're taking off. So he's talking about people that are still clinging to the old law, and right now specifically. So he's talking to that. So tell me, who you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born according to the promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written. So let's just stop right there, because he's getting kind of weird with his mountains and cities. He is saying, he's making reference, we remember that Hagar was Egyptian, number one, so there's that Egyptian Mount Sinai reference there. But he's saying Mount Sinai is where the Hebrews received what? The law. So Mount Sinai is the law. In this, he said this is an allegory. This is an allegory. Mount Sinai is the law. It's, it's all these rules we read in the Old Testament, and we're like, what is going on with these rules in the Old Testament? It's the law. And he's saying, that's, that's Mount Sinai, or better yet, that's earthly Jerusalem now. Jerusalem is consumed. These people are now consumed with this old law. And he's, he's, he's saying, this is, it's, they're like Ishmael. They're, they're Abraham's offspring, but they're no longer the heirs. Who are the heirs now? Those from New Jerusalem, which is above, which is what? Where Jesus is currently ruling in the heavens above. And so he's saying, but Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as it as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him. And they're referencing right now the, the persecuting him thing. They're referencing Ishmael laughing and mocking his younger brother that we just read about in Genesis. So that's, that's what he's bringing up here. But just as it, at the time he was born according to the flesh, persecuted him, who was born according to the spirit, so also is it now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. And so, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So this is Paul taking the story of Abraham that we're talking about, putting it into context of, of the modern era of the church, saying we're not clinging to that stuff at Mount Sinai. We're not clinging to any of that. You are, you are now born. You are now part of a heavenly nation. Don't view yourself as part of this earthly nation. There's so much... So much allegory here, if you will. And that's what he's driving home. And he's using this, this story where when we're reading this story in Genesis, we're like, oh, that's mean, that's rude. Sarah, why are you doing this? But at least he's putting it to good use here in Galatians, this idea in this story. And so as we think about that, just keep in mind there's that, there's that legalism that likes to creep in. And Paul is addressing that legalism that creeps in. And uh, people with their, their do not list and their... 
so much worried about this that their, high, their, their eyes are not on, you know, the real kingdom, if that makes sense. People that get caught up in the rules and regulations, and they're just out of touch with the true kingdom above. And so Paul's using this as an example, this story in the Old Testament that we're reading through as an example. And I just wanted to bring this up because when you, when you read through the New Testament, specifically Paul's letters, Paul's use of the Old Testament is a big deal in understanding this. Because if I didn't read through that story that I just read and go through Abraham's life and I would get to this, I could come up with a lot of different things that this could mean. And I could spiritualize some of this stuff and make it mean things that it doesn't mean. And that's the power of Paul using those Old Testament references and actually reading that stuff before you go and read this. Um, and I think this is just important. I just wanted to show you that here's an example of a story that we're just reading through. We're seeing a paragraph. We're not giving it a whole lot of thought. But for Paul, this fills up an entire chapter of one of his letters. So they send Ishmael out. They send Hagar out. They're in the wilderness. This story also seems like a repeat of before. So again, it's this, this theme that's, that's weaving through it. And what this is going to show us is, again, Yahweh's faithfulness to Abraham and his desires. So when the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes, which is strange because he's, like he's not like a child. He's like, he's like almost a full-grown man at this point. And then she's, she went, she sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let him not look on the death of the child. And she sat opposite him. He lifted up her voice. She lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and she filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So she got Ishmael life, a wife from her previous country where she was from. And so the reason this is fun again is because this is almost... It's, it's very similar to the same thing that happened the last time Sarah kicked him out. And they had to go into the wilderness. And the, the, angel of, the angel of God, the angel of Yahweh, who is, what did we say the angel of Yahweh is? It's Jesus. So Jesus is appearing again to Hagar in the desert, which shows that, you know, did, did Hagar lose faith? Because Hagar was all charged the last time this happened. Hagar marched back to Abraham's camp and everything was good. But she was already doubting God again. Um, but God, again, doesn't matter the faith of Hagar. God is concerned about what Abraham wants and Abraham's desire. And God comes through. And at that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me, or with my descendants, or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. So we've kind of time jumped a little bit, just from the desert experience. Abimelech, Abraham has been living in his country. Uh, Abraham is evidently doing well 
And now Abimelech knows not only was the creator of the universe talking to him in a dream about Abraham earlier, but Abimelech knows that God is with this guy. Things are going good. I need to make an agreement with this guy so that he doesn't end up just taking over my country because he could if he wanted to. And so he comes and he talks to Abraham and he brings the commander of his army, probably a little show of force. Um, and he just, he wants to make an agreement with Abraham. This is going to come in. We're not going to get to it, but, but Isaac, this, this affects Isaac's life in the future. When Abraham, and when Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. The two men made a covenant. I'm going to guess they made one of those, split the animals in half and walk through and make agreements covenants that we talked about earlier. Uh, Abraham sent seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? And he said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand and that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Before that place was called Beersheba. Therefore that place was called Beersheba because they both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech, Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. So we're getting, we're getting towards the end of this here. Abraham now kind of has the, the land where he's going to end up finishing his life. Uh, the tamarisk tree, sometimes translated oak. So we get that oak theme again coming through here. That now Abraham is in a new place and he's raising up a new oak. Um, so remember we talked about the tamarisk tree before. Um, sometimes they translate it oak, but most people believe it's oak. So, um, so Abraham has kind of found the place where he's going to dwell. And then this is going to set us up for next week, which is the Isaac story. And then Abraham is no more after that. Um, but this is important because this dealing, the reason this gets brought in is Isaac has the same, almost the exact same dealing with Abimelech and the commander Phicol, whether that's his name or another title. But through today, it, it's just, it seems like it's a repeat. It seems like, and I think what the Bible is just trying to show is that, in my opinion, these are flawed people. Like these are not perfect people by any chance. But the faithfulness of God, even through the same mistakes, it's not like they, they're making new mistakes every time. We saw, we saw Sarah was upset, jealousy over, over the other woman again. We see that Abraham went in with a half-truth, half-lie about his wife and not thinking that God would take care of him in that foreign country. God is still faithful through it all. So even through these, these chapters where we don't really think there's a lot going on. We just see that, A, God is faithful. We still see this angel of the Yahweh figure that keeps showing up and dealing directly with people, which is it's an amazing event. Um, and we just see that this, this purpose, this storyline is going. God is committed to this thing finishing. God is committed to the family of Abraham. And, uh, we, you know, the culmination with Jesus. And next week we get that, that first, well, it's not the first time, but we get that other typology that we get to witness with, with, with Isaac 
and Abraham going up to, to sacrifice his, his only, we won't say his only son because of Ishmael, but it is his only blessed son, the only true son. Um, the Bible actually uses the word begotten when people translate it, but it actually it means unique. It doesn't mean only, if that makes sense. And Isaac is Abraham's only son in that sense that he is the only unique son of blessing, just as they call other people sons of God. And we talked, the Bible uses the sons of God frame. But Jesus is the only, the only unique son, the only one that is God among those sons. And so we'll get to see a little bit of that. We'll have to flesh that out and what God is doing in that. Um, so yeah, with that, just... Two chapters that move us on with Abraham. We see that. And uh, again, Yahweh is faithful. That's the point of this. Abraham is all about faith. Abraham is a man of faith doing these things. Sometimes really courageous things, sometimes not. We get to look at the Bible's first instance where it talks about a prophet. And that's our first context of what a prophet does. So keep that in mind as we talk more about prophecy. That's just kind of today. Kind of a straightforward two chapters. So, So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you are in league with all of us, with where we are at, that you are calling us to more. But Lord, you're looking at our heart. You're looking at our believing loyalty in you. And I just ask that you would find in our hearts that true faith. Lord, that we serve you. Undying loyalty to Yahweh, Jesus, Holy Spirit, you. No one else, no other gods before us. And Lord, it's good to see, even in the beginning, in those first parts of the scroll of Genesis, we see Yahweh, we see Jesus, we see friends. People, people dealing with humans and loving humans alongside you. Abraham's role. Lord, we're thankful for your plan. We're thankful that your plan paid off. Lord, we just we love you, Jesus. And as we continue to look look at stories of your family, we just ask that uh, that you would just convey the lessons to us that we need from it, and that we just continue to see the character of Yahweh in all. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.